You're listening to another podcast on the Cloud Evangelist website. My name's Richard Morrell. Today's podcast, we're going to be talking about PaaS, Platform as a Service, and I'm joined today by Diane Mueller. Diane is the OpenShift Community Evangelist for OpenShift Origin, the upstream for OpenShift Enterprise. We're going to be talking everything Platform as a Service. Now, Diane is enthusiastic about community. I hooked up with her three or four weeks before she first started at Red Hat, which is in itself only six or seven weeks ago. She's very new to the business. And we'd met at a web conference in London Olympia uh, in January, February time. Uh, great to actually meet the, the lady behind the name. And it was a pleasure to sit down with her at the OpenStack Developer Summit in Portland, Oregon. A fortnight ago, we recorded maybe 35, 40 minutes. This is the edited 25-minute version. I hope she comes across as enthusiastic and ebullient because I tell you what, sometimes you have what I call a come-to-Jesus moment. You sit down with someone who, by the end of them talking, you think, Christ, you know, I'd follow them into battle. And, you know, she is very, very, very comprehensively understanding of what is required to make OpenShift Origin successful. That enthusiasm, I hope, comes across in this podcast. And without further ado, I'm going to hand you over to Diane and she can talk for herself. Here's the podcast. So, recording another podcast at Cloud Evangelist website. My name is Richard Morrell. Today, we're going to be joined by Diane Mueller. Diane, introduce yourself. Well, hello. I'm uh, now the Cloud Ecosystem Evangelist for Red Hat, and I'm working closely with the Origin, the OpenShift Origin um, open source developer community. And you've been at Red Hat precisely how long? 30 days. 30 whole days. 30 whole days. Now, 30 whole days in Red Hat's a lifetime. What have you learned so far about Red Hat Open Cloud? Well, I've learned how to put in an expense report, to be quite honest. Um, I've already been to PyCon. I'm here at OpenStack. I've already hosted the Community Day last week uh, for the Origin community. And I've been to Tyson Corner training up um, some uh, solution architects. So really, it's uh, all about getting um, your feet right on the ground and starting running and uh, getting into getting into all of the different um, aspects of the entire corporate uh bureaucracy maybe of Red Hat and finding out who's who and, and all that. So I think a lot of it's just keep running and hopefully you'll catch up to the, to the next guy. In there. So Saturday I jumped on a plane in the UK, flew here via Vancouver to get here early for the OpenShift Developer Day, which was absolutely great. Talk to us about that. So what we did was um, hosted what we called a community day and mini hackathon here, um, piggybacking off of the OpenStack um, community because OpenStack and OpenShift have a very tight relationship within the Red Hat world. And what we did was invite all the community members in the Pacific Northwest to come and join us. We had um, the lead architects um, of OpenShift Origin, uh, Bill DeCoste, Krishna Rama. We had the guys from behind the scenes at OpenShift Online, Adam Miller, come and talk about DevOps. We had Dan Walsh, our SE Linux guru, come and... Chris Williams? Chris Williams was here from the OpenStack world. We had lots of people in the room. We had Steve Hardy from the Heat group from on OpenStack talking. Um, it was just an amazing day. So we did about four hours of like real deep dives into what is OpenShift, what the architecture is. We went, we reviewed all of the cartridge V2 um, new architectural model for how we extend our platform as a service offering with new frameworks and services. It was just awesome. And then afterwards we had pretty good beer from the local breweries and some pizza and we sat around and had a mini hackathon and where some of the guys who were there were from Basho working on React cartridge, New Relic uh, was there working on a PHP cartridge, there were some customers of the OpenShift Enterprise which is upstream fed from Origin um, and one of the really cool things that happened at Community Day was 
the a customer who had a patch to apply to the core of um, Origin managed to get that pull request in in the morning, have it reviewed by one of the um, the architects. The tests were run during the day while we were at Community Day, and it was merged into the core all on the same day. It was just, it's, it's phenomenal, the process that's in place. And one of the reasons I'm here at Red Hat is because Red Hat knows how to run an open source project. And um, it's been sort of the bane of my existence is that I've really, I'm a bit of a, an open source queen. Um, some people call me a Paz queen. But um, really what I think is that um, we're, as a community, trying to build the next generation of platform as a service. And what I, what I mean by that is that when you, ha when you have a community-driven project like Origin or OpenStack, what you're doing is collaborating, you're learning from your mistakes, you're adapting the architecture. It, a good example with um, OpenStack is how they took the networking out of Nova and put it into Quantum because they learned that they needed to have two separate projects going there. And, and I, the same thing happens in the Origin world, and we've adapted and learned from you know the online experience, the enterprise experience, and from people who've been basically contributing changes and to the code and giving us new directions and feedback. And it's been an amazing experience to be able to watch and see how quickly and rapidly we can incorporate that feedback into Origin and then upstream it right into the online experience or the enterprise experience. I can tell you looking at log files, I mean the, the Cloud Evangelist website marches on. I will only write an article if I think people are going to read it. So I, I go in and I analyze the keywords and the text and the tags and OpenStack and OpenShift are the top two search terms. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, we were here on Monday. We did a, a presentation called Putting the Paths in OpenStack. And it was all about the latest new pieces of um, the heat project that's going on in OpenStack, which is the um, uh, orchestration layer for spinning up new instances. And we already have been working very closely, and it's a very hot topic here, um, creating heat templates for OpenShift so that you, if you're running OpenStack today, um, whether it's Grizzly or maybe you're getting um, working towards Havana, which is the next release that's coming out, we will have OpenShift ready to run on OpenStack seamlessly. You know, there'll be temp there are already examples of that, um, and we have a great video of that um, of how to do it today. I, Heat's still a little bit of a, a moving target. Uh -huh. It's still under development, but I think it's really going to do um, an amazing job of making orchestration simple and being able to. So, if the key to it, I think, is that with a heat template that you build, whether you build it on Rackspace or on um, HP Cloud, but if you've got the heat template for an application or a platform as a service, um, such as, as OpenShift, you'll be able to deploy that. Um, heat template on any OpenStack. So I think it's going to help quite a bit in the interoperability wars. We may not be able to take an instance from one machine to the next, but at least at the very, sh very in the short term, we're going to be able to take heat templates from any OpenStack um, deployment and re redeploy them someplace else. And for those unsure of what heat is, if you go back to the archives, the back catalogue, you'll see that there's a podcast recorded with Steve Hardy, half an hour just purely talking about heat. So what are the interesting things that are coming up in the OpenShift community? So I think, um, well, my title is Cloud Ecosystem uh, Evangelist, and, and part of it is about bringing in the partners and creating community cartridges and making sure that, um, like, we're first-class citizens for Python. We've been working closely with some of the community members to make sure that you can scale um, your Python applications, whether they're 2.7 or 3.3, or 3, 3 and making sure that those cartridges are ready. We've done a lot of work. Um, 
the cartridges are for origin are already in the V2. We're working to get all of the cartridges that are available online to be in the, the V2 uh, format as well. Uh -huh. V2 makes it really dead easy to create a cartridge. We took a lot of the complexity out of there, so what you should see in terms of the ecosystem growing is a whole lot more community-based cartridges that get fed upstream again to online use and um, enterprise use. I did a podcast in London about four weeks ago with Grant Shipley. Now, Grant, he has this sort of rolling southern accent. He's been around open source for 15 years, 14, 15 years now. And the thing about OpenShift is that sometimes I think it's a bit of a weird bedfellow at Red Hat because we've got a lot of suit-wearing guys who are developing stuff for the enterprise where we're surrounded by service level agreements and contracts, etc., etc. And all of a sudden comes this guerrilla movement, you know, Jimmy and Michelle and you and Grant and Chris and everyone. And I think sometimes, you know, when we go to conferences, it takes us by surprise. Just, you know, you seem to take over the joint. Everyone's wearing OpenShift t-shirts and having OpenShift bottle openers. Well, you know, beer bottle openers as USB keys is pretty cool giveaway anyways and I think uh, what we what we try and think of ourselves as sort of a startup within um, the Red Hat environment and we've really been able to shift in some ways the way people interact with open source projects within the from the corporate side of Red Hat to the open source side we're kind of a new form of an open source project because we're really kicking some butt I have to say in terms of getting developers from outside externally to work on the project with us as well which is which is new but we also have this extensive user base the folks that are online using us and the enterprise customers who are now deploying us on-premise and my job is really to make sure that um, those folks who are using us and we have a huge user base their bugs get logged their feedback gets incorporated but not only do their bugs get logged and, and feedback incorporated but they start contributing back too and so I'm really um, maybe a scary person if you're an SA or a salesperson because I'm the person that's going to try and talk your customer into coming and contributing to an open source project and that's you know, not always, you know, a groovy thing for in a sales call to have someone say, well, you know, we'll sell you this thing, but we want you to give back something too. But um, I'm really, I'm, I'm thinking that that's really the way to build it. It's, uh, it takes a community to build any open source project. And um, we, you know, this is a project did come out of Red Hat. The origin one, and it you know it did it did evolve out of there. It came through the you know, you've heard the history in another podcast, I'm sure, but this is something now that we've given back to the community. The community is embracing. We've got the processes in place in order to enable that to do really good outreach to be, take that feedback and incorporate it. But now it's the time for the community and all the users to start giving back too. And so my. My my thing is you you can't take without giving. You gotta get to give some something back here, and I think that's really going to make Origin the best next generation pause. Two years ago, eighteen months ago, people would have been saying that about Force.com or Heroku or Google Apps, yeah. and I think yeah. that window's slightly being slightly being missed in the OpenStack arena now. So, kudos to Heroku and to um, and to the work that they did because they made you know one they made pause hip. Um, and they handed out sake at all the conferences and they get great t-shirts and great service and they changed every developers expectation of how they're going to get on-demand self-service the stacks are going to be automated for them they're going to have you know low-cost easy ways to get their apps up there on the uh, in the world and they they changed the game in terms of user expectations and so with OpenStack now 
Um, that's just the IAS level. You know, that's just giving you the compute resources, the machines, the instances to, to build on. And what I always say about platform as a service in the OpenStack world is OpenStack gives you your infrastructure. It doesn't give you the stack that your application is running on. And that's where OpenShift comes in. And I think the Red Hat vision, um, which I probably will be corrupting in some way, is that um, we take, we, we give you a cloud that's completely enabled for developers. It's got the OpenStack, all the great stuff from there, and all of the OpenShift layered with it as well. And my, my whole ethos is that if you build a private cloud on-premise or host it someplace else, and you don't include a pause, your project will fail mm -hmm. because you have to meet now that Heroku, EngineYard.Cloud, public cloud folks' expectations that they can simply get access and push out their app really quickly. And if you turn to a developer and say, okay, here's the, the dashboard for OpenStack, go deploy your app, that isn't giving them the rapid um, application deployment that they, would, that they expect. They expect to have the whole platform as a service, application stack development, the scaling built in, and be able to administer and manage their apps and watch them auto-scale. No longer can you just give somebody an infrastructure as a service layer, whether it's OpenStack, CloudStack, or you know some VMware thing. Um, it just isn't going to work. You have to give them a full cloud. And I think that's the vision we have here with Manage IQ and Cloud Forms. I think Heat's going to change the game a lot in OpenStack, but there's no way that anyone should ever start a private cloud initiative on the enterprise or hosted, um, hybrid, or whatever you want to call it, and not include a platform as a service layer. And I think that's where Red Hat is going to win, is because we have both. We have RDO now, we have OpenShift Origin. You can combine those and you'll have a complete open cloud. Um, and we have the whole path upwards to get support and technical assistance and enterprise assurance to, or that'll run on RHEL or anywhere in secure cloud. And I think also coming from the community with the underlying power of JBoss, advanced server underneath, you know, it gives you that JRE capability. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the, the real keys of coming on is that we come from a world where we have huge strength in JBoss, we have Gluster coming, we have the whole Fedora community behind us, the Overt community. We have um, all of the, the pieces and parts that make a true open cloud. And without uh, that backing, um, you're either stuck in a proprietary world or in a very siloed niche world where you're supporting one kind of applications, but the JBoss stuff gives us all entry into the enterprise and the, the whole Java world. All of the Python, the Ruby, the Node.js, all of the goodness of all the open source languages, we get we add those in um, with the cartridges. There's more coming all the time. Just watch for the announcements. And even here at, at OpenStack, at the OpenStack, there have been so many announcements about new partnerships with Mirantis and Hortonworks and getting Hadoop into the cloud. It's just a very exciting time. And I think Red Hat has hit the nail um, with getting PAS and um, IIS combined and making a, a complete cloud offering. So other folks will just do distributions of just OpenStack. And really what I'm pushing and I'm rooting for here is getting OpenStack um, enabled with a heat template right out the door and um, you can just deploy um, OpenShift. So as soon as you deploy your OpenStack, turn, turn on the heat and get OpenShift out there. And it's simple to do. I think I'm going to start asking if you can do a t-shirt, Monica, because you're very good at it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I think the real crux of it is, is that 
PaaS matters in cloud, right? If you create a cloud without a PaaS layer, then you're not going to meet anyone's expectations. But I also think that if in two years from now I'm saying PaaS, um, I will have failed because I think PaaS is basically part and parcel of any cloud. And though NIST has done a very good job of helping us define what cloud is, having you know the different layer cakes, I'm just seeing a convergence of PaaS um, and orchestration and app, app development into what we are um, delivering as a cloud solution. And that's really, I think, what the, what the future is. Separating the two of them doesn't work, really. Okay, so I'm going to set you an argument now, or I'm going to give you an analogy. I have a feeling that OpenShift does something that we don't talk about. And OpenShift institutes on a company who is using OpenShift better development methodologies because traditionally, if you look at a developer workstation, he may have, or you look at two developer workstations, they're completely different, different IDEs, different environments completely. If they have one IDE, they can use their development environment choice, push it into GitHub, everything's there. Well. I'm going to say a nasty word, compliance and risk management. And the, not only does it give uniformity in the environments that people are developing and testing and doing QA in, because basically the um, environment, the application development environment or the, the image that they use on their desktop is the same one that's in the QA and the testing environments. And so they have that uniformity there. But also, we are able to keep, keep track of what frameworks are being deployed, what versions of them are there, what patches have been applied to them, um, if we have to upgrade the kernel, if we have to upgrade Apache Tomcat on it. We, we can keep all of that, and, and this is what, because I love logs, um, all of that is accessible to the auditors. So not only is it getting us uniformity in the environments that people are developing, testing, and deploying into so that we don't I, I don't, it, no longer is it the era, and it hasn't been for a while with PAWS um, in place, where someone develops something on their desktop, throws it over to test, it's a completely different environment, yeah. then they throw it to QA, QA runs their, you know, their test, that's in, it fails there and gets th thrown back over the firewall, and they go through this process, which is just a matter of insanity, it's, mm -hmm. it's craziness, it's crazy making is what it is, and then with PAWS, everybody's running in the same environment. So it's not like I ran the wrong, wrong version of Nginx. Uh -huh. Then take that, that's, that, that aids and abets the entire development process. The compliance, so for IT managers and your boss of bosses who have to come in and say, yes, we are running this secure Linux, the SE Linux, yes, we are running this version of um, Python 2.7 with these packages and these libraries and we don't have any poison pill um, licenses in there or anything like that. We can, we can guarantee that. We can do spot checks, we can do audits, we have all the, the, the compliance. We know what's in those containers and what's running on the paths at all times. You know, and we may not know what your application is doing, but we know what you deployed and we can control that. And you can also skinny it back. Yeah. You can take a cut, an enterprise could say, I'm only going to let my developers do, and this is a bad thing, don't, don't take this as advice, I'm only, we're only going to do Ruby and Python and take away all the other cartridges, and we're going to mandatory you use only Postgres. I mean, you could, as an enterprise, relegate your developers to a certain class of applications and say this is all that's going to be there. You control it as the IT manager or the PaaS administrator. You're the one, your enterprise is the one that controls what it is. So if somebody wanted to stand up their own public PaaS and just have no JS, you could use Origin to do so and set it up. You just take away all the cartridges and just deploy the things that you need to run Node.js, period. 
That's, it's completely a customizable experience, and that's what the really cool thing is about POS. I don't think people realize that. We always say polyglot this and polyglot that, and which is great. Um, and I, and I, I'm not one to say take things away from developers, but the thing that compliance and risk managers need, need to be a, the ability to be able to monitor and manage what's being deployed out there, and that you get with PaaS. Which brings us on to another topic. Um, it's weird, we move in very small circles in the open source world. A lot of the people that I work with at Red Hat, I've worked with for 14, 15 years. So Tim Kramer, who's part of the OpenShift team, Tim and I have worked together since back in the day at VA Linux. And this week, Tim and his team with Kurt and Brad, etc., they've worked really hard to get uh, the Cloud Security Alliance Star Registry entry, which is a big deal. It's a very big deal. Yeah, now this, this is uh, near and dear to my heart because I think one of the things that people... Um, don't understand about um, security in the cloud is that it's not, um, you can't do it by obfuscation. You know, you, Linux containers are not enough. The SE Linux um, approach that we use at, at Red Hat in terms of um, deploying the pods in it in an SE Linux environment really helps us, um, you know, sell into government and sell into people who are very risk adverse. There were some amazing things that actually happened here at the OpenStack conference. Uh, the guy from NSA who stood up, I'm not sure if you saw that keynote, Nate, he was actually a, a spy. I think he, he was called a spy, but he stood up and he talked about um, security on OpenStack. And what I'm really looking forward to is when they they give back those security patches that they've done and add that back into OpenStack too. So between Red Hat's commitment to making sure that we're delivering a very secure cloud um, and what's going on in the OpenStack development world and what we've done in OpenShift with SE Linux, we can almost, I mean, you never guarantee anything 100%, but man, we've got the most secure cloud going. I'm doing a podcast next week at the Info Security Show at Olympia in London, where I actually met you a few months ago, um, with Jim Rivas, the chair of CSA. And I've been a big fan of the CSA now for three and a half years. And, you know, people who listen to this podcast very often see me on tour going and talking for Red Hat. And I talk about the CSA, CCM, the Blended Security Controls Matrixes. And I think very often, and I know there's parts of U.S. federal government uh, who just don't get what the CSA is about. They think I think they see the CSA as a bit, you know, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves type mentality. The CSA is a group of volunteers who put together standards which, in the big wild west, allow you to emerge from the shadows and be taken seriously. Yeah. So, one of the other um, things that I evangelize about too is cloud security and ramifications for the U.S. Patriot Act. And I think one of the things that in the U.S., maybe not in London so much, but in the U.S., we're really cognizant of the, the government regulations and the security pieces. And this is, the organize, organizations such as these really help us um, make sure that the cloud is a secure place and that we don't get in trouble with government regulators. And that's been, the edu just the education piece is really pretty cool. I've got a podcast currently uh, going through vetting, let's call it vetting, it's a polite way of putting it, uh, with Kwan Han, who's one of the world's top cloud legal people. Uh, she's written a lot of papers at Queen Mary University in London, um, taken very seriously by Microsoft and Amazon. And that's going to be coming out next week, talking about Patriot Act, talking about Safe Harbor, talking about regulation in specific sovereign territories. So that'll be good for people who are interested from a security and also from a legal perspective. Yeah, so one of the, one of the things that, that I've been spending time on 
around the U.S. Patriot Act and doing education. I was here in Portland last year for OSCON doing the U.S. Patriot Act song and dance. And it's not about trying to stir up FUD either. It's just education on what it really means. And, you know, Microsoft's, you know, done a lot of uh, good good education in, in some ways around what, you know, what they will tell you about when you're on their cloud. And I think one of the, the really cool things about being able to deliver a secure on-premise private cloud is then you you know you're you're the one that's being notified if one of those national security letters comes to you and you know who the customers are and it's all about the, the chain of um, being informed on when when the NSA or whomever it is wants access to your your data if you put yourself in a public cloud situation, um, you're, they're not going to notify you. And that's really pretty clear. You know, and my, uh, the Azure team, the Microsoft folks have, have said that, Amazon has said that everybody puts this huge long document that, that you have to read and approve before you go online and, and host stuff. Even if you're just hosting Minecraft, you still have to read it. And I think this is where you're getting the, the large-scale um, movement towards on-premise private host private clouds and really being know, know what where your um, your data is being located but I think elastic computing or cloud computing or whatever you want to call it is moving on-premise you know and there may be some help from third-party hosters and along the lines there but dedicated resources within your firewall you can now take advantage of all the cloud computing technology and build out your own private clouds and that way you it's not that you're trying to avoid. You just want to be the person that gets notified, you know, when that letter comes. You do not want to be at the mercy of a large uh, cloud provider um, deciding whether or not they, they are legally responsible for notifying you that your data has been tapped. And it's, you know, it's just part of, part of um, corporate governance. But you could identify a new part of the food chain, particularly for Red Hat. If you look at a lot of cloud providers in the States, they've thrown up what they think is a cloud platform because everybody else is. And then you look at their security document, like the document you talk about, Microsoft. Microsoft's 27-page one is actually a work of art. I've read it. Yeah, it's it, bas nice. it, yeah. it basically, you can, you can paraphrase it. And at the end of the document, you could just say, no liability. Yes. Yeah, that's all it means. Yep. Now, with a lot of cloud providers, I think what they could do by adopting OpenShift is offer security by design. Definitely. I mean, I think that's one of the... It, we, we were joking about it. It's, it's like... If you put a platform and service and, op and OpenShift, especially when you're using SE Linux to secure um, the the different um, organizations that are using your platform, so you could put North Korea and South Korea on the same um, platform as a service offering, and they could never, no they would never know that they were both there. They could never invade each other um, or do anything nasty to each other, and they they wouldn't even get the noisy neighbor. They wouldn't even hear each other. And what it does is, um, what PAS does, it allows you to set quotas and manage your resources so the noisy neighbor couldn't um, scale up and re use resources that one of the other ones um, uh, were, were meant for somebody else. So really, Platform as a Service does that for you. It, it does the segregation of organizations on your cloud very, very nicely. It does it securely, and it does it in a way that's managed and that allows you to... Um, set quotas and resource manage everybody so that nobody's taking over the world or launching any missiles. It's been, Diane, it's been absolutely great having you on the podcast. Take care. Thank you very much, guys. Cheers.